Survival Podcast, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, Biltong. And I'm going to have Anton on in just a minute. We're going to talk about his company uh, that makes Biltong. We're going to talk a lot, though, just about making Biltong. I'll tell you right now, like my history with Biltong goes all the way back to pre-Survival Podcast, uh, reading a book by Peter Hathaway Capstick, and there was one little thing about it in the end he talked about. Uh, living as a professional hunter in Africa and eating it and, and making it back here in the States because it was actually something you could make anywhere. And it was probably another week and I had uh, strips of meat hanging in my office and uh, fell in love with it. And so when I first met Anton online and he's like, yeah, I've got bills. I'm like, yeah, well, let's talk, right? Like, you, you, you're, you're, you know that old movie, Jerry Maguire, whatever, you had me at hello, you had me at Bill Talk. So we'll have Anton on in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and uh, say a quick word for our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one is Start9 with Embassy Servers. Do you know that there's no such thing as the cloud? The cloud is a myth. I, got, I use the cloud. I store my data in the cloud. I have my email in the cloud. I have my images and my pictures in the cloud. No, you have all that stuff on somebody else's computer, which means they can monitor it. They can censor it. They can delete it. They can block your access to it. It can be a security breach risk because hackers don't hack into your computer. You're not worth it unless you're like a bank or something. Hackers like to hack into databases where they get hundreds or thousands or millions of people's information all at once. That's where the return ratio is worth doing. When you set up a Start9 Embassy server, you can set up military-level encryption for all your data but still access it from anywhere in the world, including doing so over Tor where you have even more uh, privacy and protection. You can also set up private end-to-end encrypted messaging where you can communicate with people and know who you're really communicating with. We run into problems all the time with, uh, you know, scam artists and imitators on things like Telegram and uh, WhatsApp and what have you as well. You wouldn't have that problem if people could even get into the Messenger app unless you invited them and let them in. So check this out today. And if you're thinking, this sounds like, you know, Jack is speaking nerd again. People say that all the time. Like, I am not really this massive technical uh, source of knowledge. If you can use a smartphone and install apps on a smartphone, you can use a Start9 Embassy server. Uh, next up, and this just, you know, these two work really well together, and it's why I'm happy to have them both as sponsors and why I kind of paired them up on Sponsorship Day. Above phone. You know, everything you do on your phone is being tracked by your carrier, your uh, device provider, and your app maker. You know, I hear all this stuff uh, right now. They're talking politically about things like uh, TikTok, and we need to ban TikTok or whatever. You know, you need to do you need to ban selling people's information and collecting it and providing it to third parties. TikTok doesn't need to be a Chinese app to gather all your information. If the Chinese want your information, they can just buy it from one of a thousand companies that broker that information. And it all goes through the carriers, the device manufacturers and the apps. And it's because the device manufacturers and the app stores allow the app manufacturers to harvest and resell the data. You see how it all works. What if you could make that all go away and take back your tech? You could do that with Above Phone. And remember, they do $75 off any of their phones if you are an MSB member as well. So check them out today. It really is easy. If you can, uh, if you can 
again, run a smartphone. You can use a Bub phone or you can use an embassy or you can use both. With that, let's bring our special guest on. Uh, Anton Van Vuren is, is Vuren yes, the right way to say that? That's, I got that's it right. Close enough, man. That's close I got enough. it right. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I only have so much sympathy for people's last name with well, the last name like Spearco, six letters. You'd be surprised at the butchering that comes, <laughs> but I always do my best, man. Hey, I'm glad to have you with us today. Um, we're going to talk about Biltong and making Biltong. Can we go back before that though? Like what, because I noticed that you had technology roles. So before you got into like, Making biltong and being in the food industry, what was your professional background and what led you to food? Uh, so uh, I was involved in uh, uh, telecoms IT. Uh, okay. So I you know, started off in uh, kind of system testing, then uh, support, then ended up in sales, uh, which uh, you know, kind of took me out of the telecoms into, into my own businesses. Um, and then after that, you know, uh, ended up back in IT. It's almost like it was a calling. Uh, and, uh, myself and, uh, and one of my, uh, friends set up a, a company, uh, which we ended up, uh, funny enough, selling some technology to uh, companies in the U.S., which then brought me to the U.S., uh, where I subsequently met my wife, uh, who liked the food, uh, you know, the South African food, uh, including Biltong, of course. Uh, and she then convinced me that it would be a good idea to, to open a restaurant, which, evolved into a market and, uh, you know, now massive full-time outlet, which then led me to you, I guess, and, and a few other people, <laughs> you know, that like the, the product, yeah? Yeah, I've noticed that there is does seem to be a trend with kind of niche businesses with this concept of somebody, went, and we obviously see it here in the United States, but I'm sure it goes the other way, right, into other countries, that people move to a new country, they miss the things that they grew up with, and they realize there's like there's this entire community like expats from wherever they're from that's into that. And then they they build these businesses, bringing the product into the country or like you do with built on manufacturing the old world product in the new world or however you want to put it. And it seems to be a, a pretty decent model of success. Yes, if, if you can get it right. You know, the, yeah. the yeah. one of one of the limits you have here is, uh, you know, your your um, the kind of FDA, USDA health department, you know, man, those guys, they, they don't play, you know, <laughs> you, you get away with a lot more, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you're not in, let's say, I don't want to say first world country, but a, a less controlled environment, I sure. guess is, is, is better to put it that way where, you know, it's a little bit more flexible. Uh, I mean, I'm used to, you, you walk into a butcher in, in South Africa and Biltong just hangs open in the air and, you know, the guy will literally pull a slab down for you and say, well, you know, you like this one or you like that one. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, half the time he'll even let you kind of feel how wet it is. Uh, wow. And I mean, you just walked off the street, you know, so no, nobody knows where your hands were. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, not how people aren't laying in mass graves in South Africa from tainted Biltong. It's almost like yes. salt yes. And, you know? and, 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 and acid. And time actually cure meat to where it's safe for people to eat. I'm well, you know, biltong when it's completely dry is shelf stable. So yeah. if it's if it's dry, if all the moisture is out of it, um, which you know the best thing to do then is probably to powder it so you can actually you can actually uh, you know grind it up and 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 use it in uh, like breads. You can you put it on eggs and and things like that. And you can just eat the powder or the very dry kind of slices. You can slice chunks off it. So that's shelf stable. I like it the way I sent it to you. It's a little bit more moist. 
So, you know, which, which gives it a real good flavor, very close to prosciutto. So a lot of people match it with uh, like jerky and and it's not at all even in the same, it's not that even the manufacturing is not the same. It's much closer to your salamis and prosciutto and stuff like that where it's air dried, naturally cured. Um, And, you know, there's, there's, there's different opinions on it, but in my opinion, I like it when it, when it's a little thicker sliced, uh, you know, when you sla- cut your slabs to make your biltong out of, you know, you can make it out of a, a, a like a top round, bottom round, aisle round. I mean, you can go into picanha. It's just, you know, the, the more expensive the cut, you, you got to realize you lose a little bit more than half your, your weight when you dry it. So whatever cut you use, if, if, if you at $15 a pound for whatever your, your meat is, by the time it's dry, you at 30, you yeah. know, uh, just for the dry because, or at 35, maybe 40 because of the weight loss. So you don't want to use massively expensive meat. And then stuff like, uh, a tenderloin is, uh, they, you know, you'd rather cook a tenderloin than make biltong out of it. It just doesn't make good biltong. You want to look for slightly, um, lesser quality because, because the, the fat content, Will increase as the, um, as the meat dries because the, the meat part dries, the fat doesn't really. So that's kind of what you look at. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I like it a little thicker cut and a little bit more moist. Um, that's the way I just prefer it. And the longer it hangs to me up to a point, of course, but you know, you want to look at, you know, seven odd nine days. I find the taste there for my particular palate is about the best. A lot of people dry for two, three days and it's very dry. They cut it thin. That's not the way I do it or we do it here in any way. Yeah, I, I prefer mine a bit wet in the center, certainly. Yes. And like from making it myself, my favorite cut you mentioned to make it from is an eye of round. Yes. And yes. To give you an idea of like the size of it, like I would make probably bust it in half so they're not too long, but I'll make probably four sticks out of each half of an eye around. Yes. Fairly yes. substantial. And then when it's done, like you said, it loses so much weight, it almost feels mummified. And yes, exactly. Maybe we should, for people that are tuning in that maybe have never tried biltong or made biltong, can we just start off with what, what is what what makes a cured piece of meat biltong versus something else, like a jerky or like a prosciutto or something? What What is unique about biltong? So, so biltong... Um Biltong is basically dried just at room temperature. You can you can literally take the meat and if if you you know go through the process of of curing it, you can hang it under your ceiling fan in your in your uh, you know living room and just have the air move over it. So it's a so it's an air dried meat that's just slightly above kind of room temperature. So I always think of the the kind of uh, autumn. Uh, breezes in in South Africa in the kind of high felt, you know, kind of autumn breeze, which is probably running around 25 uh, degrees Celsius, maybe like 72 to 75 Fahrenheit. You know, that's kind of the air temperature that I always kind of think of, uh, you know, thinking of the, you know, how the, how the people. So, so Bolton was made. Let, let me, let me start there. Maybe that's a good idea. Bolton was made. By what we call the, 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 the food trackers. So the, the, the original settlers that came to South Africa, they, uh, you know, from, there, there are a few different stories. Some of them say that, you know, some, some meat, uh, uh, that they kept in barrels with salt, the, the moisture drained out of it and it kind of dried in the barrel. And then, you know, the guys were hungry. So they tried to eat it and kind of built them was born. You know, there's another, uh, part that says the Bushman. Uh, the original inhabitants of South Africa, which are the Koi and the Sun, uh, that ran around the Kalahari. So they are nomads and they hunted, uh, the deer, 
you know, the, the kudu and, and all the, all the, um, antelope that runs around the Kalari. So they, they used to track behind these guys and then they, they used to hunt them. And when they, when they do get a kill, they kind of cook what they can and then they had to cure the rest. And something that, uh, you know, the Kalahari had quite a lot of is salt. So they could use salt to cure the meat and then hang it under the trees, you know, and, and dry it. So they've actually got food to take with them. That's, that's, uh, doesn't require refrigeration because, you know, 400 years ago, no fridges. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to find some way of, of getting your meat, you know, your protein, uh, uh, you know, in a, in an edible form that can travel. And I mean, you know, I saw pictures of the biltong hanging under the ox wagons and just kind of swinging in the breeze while the ox wagon kind of travels down the road. Um, that would so, actually work pretty good because you're yeah, moving air across it. Yeah, right? exactly. That's that's the, the the only thing you need to do is keep air moving over it. It doesn't yeah. even have to be warm. It just has to be moving so you can get the moisture off the meat. And yeah. that's that's the biggest criteria. So you can even have it in a slightly cooled environment. And as long as the air keeps moving over it, the meat will cure. Yeah, I mean, so, I've so, made it right in my office. I've hung it straight behind where I'm at and a little box fan on the door over here. And, and, and then the dogs come in the office and, you know. Yes, and sit and watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> they're, prote- they're protecting it. Right? So meat, exactly. Some of the, the mythology there. One of the stories I've heard is that it also could go back to the, the original settlers, specifically boars would put pieces of meat under the saddle on a horse. Yes. And that would press it in the, so yeah. It sounds kind of gross, but like the salt from the horse's sweat would impregnate yeah. the meat and naturally preserve it. And then kind of being on that saddle would actually yes. lend to tenderness, which one reason I actually give that some credence is I've, I've recently got into making a, a, another cured meat called Bastrama, which also is okay. perfectly uh, suited to Eye of Brown. And bas in uh, in Turkish means to press. Yes. And so the meat is salted and weight is applied to it while it ages for a couple of days before you go to the next step. So maybe, I don't know, but it's like, I I would guess the truth lies somewhere in the hodgepodge of all of these things. Like, surely the Bushmen that were there before settlers came had to preserve meat. Surely that the settlers that came... Uh, observe that and emulated parts of it. Surely things happen. Yes. Like, oh, this tastes good, and it didn't go yeah, rotten. I, so I absolutely agree. Right, you know, I, I agree. I know. So, so the, the the there are a few different ways. The one one of the ways you can do it is you can use salt to to cure the meat. So yeah. you pack it on salt, which, which is like the Turkish meat you just had, uh, described. So that's one of the methods, which I think is closer to what the Bushmen did. And then, uh, the, the, uh, settlers brought vinegar with them. So they, uh, you know, and that's what we use is we, we lay it in a vinegar mixture, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to kind of cure it. And then we spice it after. Um, so, uh, you can either just lay it in salt and then you can add, uh, you know, uh, ingredients after that. Now, one of the things that I did read, which I think, uh, is probably, um, from the settlers is, the, the coriander and black pepper was originally used to keep the bugs off the meat because they, they natural, uh, you know, insect repellents. And now it's part of the taste. So if your biltong doesn't have kind of, uh, you know, black pepper and coriander on it, it's just bland because it doesn't taste like biltong. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's, you know, now that I don't think, uh, come from the Bushmen, but I, I do think that was part of the European influence. And that would probably, you know, if the guy had the meat on the horse, um, 
you know, he probably took it out after he was done and then, you know, threw some coriander. Uh, here yeah. it looks like horse. And, and, yeah. <laughs> it's not in a good way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, so, so I'm sure they, you know, they, like you say, it's, it's in between all yeah. of that somewhere, you know, there's, but I mean, you know, the way we make it today is we pretty much lay it in, 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 in a, in a vinegar mixture. Um, and then we take it out afterwards, kind of pat, pat it dry. So it's just kind of, kind of damp. And then, um, then we spice it. Okay. And then we, we hang it, you know, so you let it lay. So the longer it lays in the spices, the more it'll absorb salt. Uh, so you've got to get your timing right. And then if your timing is, is, is in to where your, you know, it suits your taste, uh, then you hang it up and you, and you dry it. And I mean, there are so many little boxes you can build, but you can pretty much hang it open with a, with a small box fan on it and it'll dry. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know? like the first batches and it's still primarily the way I make it is like a, those two things going together and mine all came from that little, three pages in that book by Capstick. I think yes, it was Death of yes. the Longgrass. And he said this was the traditional original version, which I'm sure there's debate about that even in South Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was basically like you dredged it in apple cider vinegar, and then you salted it. Yes. And let it sit overnight in the fridge, and then you applied black pepper coriander. Yes. And that was for him. That was it. And I know you use yes. those things and you hang yeah, it, well, you let it dry. Yeah, got, so, so we, we do something similar. Um, I mean, I, I recommend normally, you know, you can do an apple cider. So it just, you know, apple cider is quite acidic. So you gotta, yeah. you gotta watch that your, that your meat doesn't get too acidic for you, uh, in taste. So, you know, we've also, uh, we very big, uh, big on a Worcestershire sauce. Yep. Uh, so, so, you know, I recommend either apple cider or a mixture of, because Worcestershire, a lot of people don't know this, but it's about 70 or 80% uh, vinegar anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just got some other bits and pieces in there to make it, you know, take kind of the edge off. So you can just lay it in, 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 in Worcestershire if you want. Um, but I recommend laying it in, in, in Worcestershire or Worcestershire vinegar mixture, uh, for, you know, approximately six to eight hours. So, and about halfway through, just turn it around. So you get yourself like a, um, uh, what are those? Uh, uh, these, uh, now I don't remember the name. Uh, just these, ru- like a rubber made, like a rubber oh, made. Like a hot tub. Uh, yeah, just like a tub, you know, yeah. with a, with a lid. That's what I mean. And, and, yeah, and, and cover it about two thirds. So, so you don't have to cover all the meat, but cover it about two thirds and then uh, about halfway through, say three to four hours, just flip the meat around and, you know, keep it in the fridge. And then after that, you take it out, you pad dry it, and then you can apply your spices, which, you know, you can buy spices. Uh, I just, I recommend always just read what's on the labels of the spices because there are a lot of commercial, uh, commercially available spices band that's got some real bad stuff in it. So you just want to watch, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, uh, um, like soy and all kinds of stuff in yeah, there, which you, you want to try and avoid. Bulk whole spices. So like coriander, you buy it as seeds when you need yes. it. If yes, you want exactly. To ground, throw in a coffee grinder and grind as much as you exactly. can. Exactly. That, yeah, and and you can. I mean, it's real simple. You know, it's a it's a it's a coriander. The the basics are coriander, salt, and pepper. Yeah, that's your basics. Yeah. If you want some flavor, you can throw some paprika in there. You know, uh, it is recommended. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people don't know this, but but sugar goes back to um to like the Roman era for preservatives. Um, so uh, for higher humidity areas uh you know you can use a little bit of baking soda just to help uh, with mold control and some sugar to also it helps with mold control for uh you know it, it removes mold by osmosis so it just removes the water from uh, the product so uh, a little bit of sugar what we use is um we use honey granules mm-hmm. 
in ours, uh, which has got some sugar in, uh, because the sugar, what the sugar does is it keeps it uh, granular because honey will start clumping together. So sure. it's got a little bit of sugar in the granules, but we have a product called honey granules, which we stock and we use that in our biltong spice. Um, and yeah, you, you get your ratios the way you like it. Uh, you apply it. And I mean, you know, you can use the same tub you laid in. Just throw the, the your, your your marinade out, throw your spices in there, shake it around, lay it in the fridge for four to six hours and then hang it up and then you eat it, man. You know, it's a couple yeah. of days and you just, you know, slice right into it. Yeah. I, people always ask me how long it lasts and I'm like, pretty much forever, but it won't because you're going to eat it. That's, yes. That's the thing. On the ingredients, dude, I get that my guess is that even in South Africa, it's probably very much like chow chow in Slovakian regions of Pennsylvania, right? So my grandmother is Ukrainian. All my chuchis, which are like extended adopted aunts, are all Ukrainian. And everybody made chow-chow, which is just basically a chunky relish from stuff that comes out of the garden. Every okay. single one of them did it a little bit different. Yes. Everybody was sure theirs was right and everybody else was wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every So so what you don't see a lot here, which is, uh, I mean, th that's everywhere in South Africa is butchers. So you have fresh butchers and carcasses will hang in like open fridges and you can pick, you can literally say, look, I want this lamb or I want this half of this uh, uh, cow. Or, yeah. you know, so you can pick and the, the butcher will cut it up in, in your choice of cuts. Um, you know, so you don't see that here. And Every butcher will have their own uh, dried sausage and uh, biltong recipe, literally. So you could have three butchers in the city and like only one of the uh, products, you know. So if every guy will have his own mixture and, you know, and, 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 and people get used to that. So when they try yours, it's not quite to their palate because they grew up eating their butchers, you know. So it's just yeah. – and, and that's pretty much exactly like you explained, yes. Yeah, I mean, like the first time I put a video up on how to make it on YouTube, it's had to be 12 years ago. And I said, this is traditional South African biltong. And I was using Capstick's recipe. And I yes. didn't use Worcestershire sauce, right? Yes. And I yes. got shit from a bunch of South Africans. And they're like, it's not real biltong without Worcestershire sauce. I'm like, well, biltong goes at least back to whatever. It was like 17-something. And yes. Worcestershire sauce is only 100 years old. So yes. biltong predates <laughs> Worcestershire sauce by 150 years at least. So exactly. it can't be required. But I get what you – because it is – I think one of the things about Worcestershire sauce, and I guess a lot of people don't know this, it's made with fish. And yes. It's, so it's fish, vinegar, and salt, basically. Yes, yes. And because of that, it has a lot of that umami flavor, which is great. But it also is very much a tenderizing yes. for exactly. meat. And built on, of course, we're curing it, so it's getting hard on the outside. And we're using probably lower quality cuts. It's yes. more tenderness because it just makes sense to do that. So we're actually tenderizing. I think a lot of people, like the first time they try biltong, they're like, it's kind of tough. And it's like, well, how did you cut it? Yes. Right. Well, the way you cut it, once it's cured, I mean, yes. has a yes. lot well, of well, even before it's cured. So so the way, uh, and, and this is, you know, I, I, had to, I had to learn a lot of these things, of course, um, you know, because I, I don't know. I mean, I never made my own biltong until I got to the U.S. And then, you know, you learn because you've got to figure out some of these things. <laughs> yeah, not getting um, any. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, so you actually cut your uh, eye. Like if you take an eye of round, for example, you cut it along the grain when you make the biltong and then you cut it across the grain when you slice it to eat it. And that makes it tender. I think if you cut it the other way, it's going to be stringy yeah. because then your, your slices are along the grain. So yeah. you want you want to you want to cut it in the length of the of the um Eye of round and and you know whatever meat you use you you can normally see where the grain runs 
So if, if you kind of look at the meat and you rub over it, you'll see the grain runs in a specific direction normally. So you just, uh, you cut it down that kind of down along the grain. So, so parallel with the grain and then you hang it and when it's dry or dry enough, then you cross cut across the strip of meat. Um, and then you eat those strips and that is real tender that just pulls apart. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks to me like you guys are using like a meat slicer with yours. And oh yeah, yeah, we we got like I mean, one, we, yeah. I, all my cured meats go on the meat slicer, and then yeah, yeah, we we, we our volumes are a little high for hand slicing. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. But for people making it at home, I mean, for years I just thin slice, like you said, across the grain, and it's, yeah, you can do that with a knife. I mean, a lot of people uh, because. It's, it's literally addictive, if, especially if you get it right and it's good. I mean, you just sit and eat that stuff all day. So I get a lot of customers in that will buy the whole slab and they'll just take their pocket knife out and carve off a piece and eat it just to, to keep it limited so it's a little more difficult to slice because once it's once it's sliced up, um, you know, it's like potato chips and, and you'll just, you know, you'll just dig in and, and just eat them all. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know that it doesn't have a very long shelf life around here because I eat it. Uh, yes, exactly. Can, can we talk a little bit? I've had some questions about sure. different meats that you can make biltong out of. Um, Hoax said, is there any meat you can't make it out of? And, and maybe it's more like you shouldn't. And Lovecat was asking about making it out of lamb or rabbit. Personally, I would do it with lamb. I wouldn't with rabbit. What do you say? Yeah, so, you know, you got to remember that the meat's not getting cooked. So if there's any any kind of game meat, uh, like, a, like a pork that could have, you know, any kind of parasites in it, that would be a red flag. Um, so it will very much depend on the diet of the animals. So I've had a few people try with lamb. I think lamb's too fatty. And uh, there, there was a, a, well, there is a farmer in Texas that actually farms lamb. And, and he asked me, you know, so why why don't we make biltong out of lamb? I said, look, man, it's not a thing in South Africa. I can't exactly tell you why, but nobody does it. Um, and he made some. And he said, okay, no, there's a reason it's not good. So <laughs> that's what I, I don't think you, you can't do it, but I just don't think it comes out that good. Be, probably because of the fat content on the, on the lamb, you know, you, you've got to watch for that. I haven't made it out of rabbit. So what's, what's popular? I mean, I've made deer backstraps. So I've done that and that 100%, bro. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you could probably make it out of any big game. So deer, I've heard a few people uh, talk to me about whitetail. We've got bison in. Uh, bison is just very expensive, but uh, we've got some bison. In South Africa, you'll make it from kudu. You'll make it from kudu is very popular. Uh, uh, Eland, uh, uh springbok, that's normally all popular biltong. I've heard some guys talk about chicken. Personally, I try and avoid salmonella. No. I would not recommend that. No. <laughs> you know, there's, so, there's no way um, around, like, the pork and the chicken thing. And no. I'm not doing it, but if you, no. if you needed to – like there is chicken jerky, that's a thing, and what they do is they freeze it <coughs> below five degrees Fahrenheit for more than thirty days. Okay. And at that point, you've killed everything that 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 you would have to worry about, and that's recommended. That's like a best policy with pork for things like prosciutto and all as well, because yes. the big risk there is trichinosis, obviously. Yes. And yes. a trichinosis worm does not survive apparently after that level of, of freezing, but. Part of my issue with doing it with chicken or rabbit is I want a big piece of meat 
like you said, like, yes. I'll, like I'll do a whole, well, basically busted in half, two pieces of backstrop off one side of a deer. Yes. And that's almost like wrist size. That's like perfect. Well, you just yes. don't get that kind of a cut off something like a rabbit or a chicken. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, I mean, I know in, in South Africa, so in the, in the Cape area, I mean, that's right on the water. So they do, they do it with fish. You know, they make a fish built on called bokums. Uh, and I always, I always tease the guys from the Cape and I say, you know, you, you guys, you don't have any cows, so you've got to use your fish. You know, <laughs> you don't know what real biltong is, but I mean, so, so it's possible to probably do it with most uh, things, but beef is by far the most popular, I think, because it really lends itself well to, to that kind of, uh, uh curing process. Um, it's not too expensive. It's readily available. Uh, you know, the eye of round cut, I would recommend is probably the best cut. I would say between a three quarter and a, a one and a quarter inch thick cut is what you want to look at. You know, try and cut it as straight as possible. Um, so I'll, I'll give uh, uh, you a little uh, tip if you want uh, a simple workaround uh, to, to help you cut your meat. You go to the hardware store. You go buy a steel ruler. You know, just like a 12-inch steel ruler, that thing is normally about an inch wide, and you just use that as a marker. You know, and it's yeah. stainless steel. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. use it to mark your meat with a with a steel ruler, and you just cut next to the ruler. And you can even lob it on its side because a lot of times, you know, if the eye's a little fresh, the eye round, or you know, even if you have a, a top round or whatever, it might roll around on you a little. Yeah. You can pop it on its side. You can put the ruler straight up on your cutting board, and you just cut on top of the ruler, so you use it as a spacer. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a, a technique that you, you can use to help you cut your meat straight because if it rolls, you're going to find, you know, you, you want to try and cut your biltong as, as evenly as possible. That'll ensure e- even uh, a drying. So, if you've got thicker pieces, they'll take a little longer. So you might end up with one piece very dry and another piece a little moist. So you want to try and, and balance that out. Um, but except for that, I mean… Yeah, you know, the rest is real simple. And, and then it's a question of the, the only thing that I can uh, advise people also is don't overspice your meat because I've seen some biltong, man, and you can hardly see the meat. It's like, it looks like it's caked on with the spices and you, you kind of waste your spices because the biltong will absorb to a certain point and then we cut it, it all falls off anyway. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Absolutely. You want to, you want to, you want to kind of, you know, just, just put enough. Well, I, you know, we do about, uh, what, what would that be in ounces? 40 grams. It's, it's about an ounce and a half, I guess, of, of, of spice per kilo. So per 2.2, oh, sorry, per two, just, yeah, say two pounds. So about 40 grams. So an ounce and a half of spice per about two pounds of meat. You don't have to, you know, have too much and then it lays a little and then it's done. You hang it and then you dry it. Yeah. So real quick, just before we move on, somebody asked about bear. No bear. No bear. Yeah. So the (laughs) highest risk you have of getting trichinosis in North America is bear meat. Um, I did a lot of research on this when I got into curing meats, and it said that, like, if you kill a wild pig, you should assume it could have trichinosis. If you kill a wild bear, you should assume it does have trichinosis because they eat everything, including dead shit off the road and, and what have you. And the other problem with bear meat specifically is they have a different species of the trichinosis worm than commonly is in pork, and it's harder to kill. So bear meat should never be eaten raw ever. And, like, there's very few cases of trichinosis in the United States. It's literally overblown the threat of it at this point because of modern practices. However, most of the cases that do occur tend to come from people eating undercooked bear. 
Like wow. somebody goes out and shoots a bear and they have like a big bear barbecue and they're eating, you know, and I'm sure it tastes delicious, like rare black bear, you know, um, backstrap or something off a grill. But you just that is not. A, and, and it's also like even though it's not as easy to kill with freezing, it probably does help. Uh, but these people are taking fresh meat that's never been frozen and having and like the biggest trichinosis outbreak in the last 20 years was in California. And it was like a group of folks got together and like had a bear fiesta and almost wow. everybody ended up infected. So no bear. It, it just I think you'd agree with this. If you wouldn't eat it raw, don't make biltong out of it. Yes, that's I would agree point. with that. That's a that's a good, you know, especially if, if you want to try this first time. I mean, you, you don't want to go, you know. Get all adventurous and get yourself yeah. sick. That is not advisable. You know, yeah. stick to the basics. Uh, I mean, you know, beef is good. Uh, I would do. Um, you know, but there, there's a lot of deer options. Uh, I think I don't. I, I haven't. I haven't tried whitetail, but that's apparently better than than normal deer. So I would recommend maybe something like that. Uh, but I mean, I, I know there are some people that don't eat beef. You know, I I, w- I would try and stick to beef, especially as a beginning. So you you know get yourself a, a, a little educated on it and then start experimenting. Yeah, I mean you can get eye of round at Sam's Club or Costco for around three bucks a pound, and yeah. you can go make all the biltong you want with that. That's a great starting place, and it's yes, not absolutely fat because the fat people have debates about whether the fat tastes good or not, but. When you have a lot of fat and meat, it's more challenging. And I have round, yes. you have a fat well, cat, but you yeah, don't you have do, a lot of intramuscular. Well, uh, the eye of round is quite a lean cut. You know, it's it's a it's a, it's supposed to be around a ninety ten split fat meat, so ninety yeah. percent meat, ten percent fat, and then you got the cap on top. If you look around, I uh, I haven't been in Costco for a while, uh, but in Sam's you can normally get a trimmed. Um, they trim the eye of round. It's more expensive because they trim it. Yeah. But that's a real good start because they'll shave some of the fat off um, and, and it'll be leaner. So, it's, so and that's, a, a, you know, all the, all the kind of weird bits are cut off it. Uh, so yeah. it's smaller. So it's easier to, to handle as well. Uh, it's normally, I guess, eight, nine inches in length. Yeah. So it's not a full eye of round. You can take that. It's probably, yeah, it's about halfway. So the two tips are cut off. It's more kind of roast looking. Um, so, so it's much easier to work with. You can pretty much halve that and then quarter each of the halves and that should be good. And you can just take it and make four pieces of biltong out of it. Agreed. Agreed. Great way to go. So let's talk a little bit about drying biltong. I've, like I said, I've done it right open air in my office with a fan. Um, my only concern, I did it once in the garage and flies got into it. And yes. uh, so like my only real concern is protecting it from insects Yes, um, but I see people build hong boxes and light bulbs and all kinds of things. What say you on all that? So the the, the light bulb in the boxes are normally to uh, help uh, dissipate the the moisture, so the humidity. So it's not really to heat it; that's just kind of a side effect, um, uh, you know, of it. And and the the heating does help a little bit to uh, to dry it quicker. But but you could put a, I mean. 160 to 100 watt uh, light bulb inside the box. Obviously, you've got to make sure your bolt doesn't hang over it because if it drop, you know, drips onto the light bulb, it'll pop. Uh, you can get food safe light bulbs. Uh, so they got a little film, like a film over them. So if it, it'll still pop, but it won't explode. Okay. Uh, and you can get them. I mean, probably Amazon or, you know, I'm not sure. So, so here's one of the challenges you got with light bulbs right now is your normal 
60 to 100 watt glass, traditional glass uh, light bulbs are not available anymore. Yeah. Uh, just readily available. Everything's going LED. and So you've got to look for something that generates heat. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're putting a nice light on your bulb, not doing anything else. Um, so you want to get one of the old kind of heat generating light bulbs. And then you can get food safe ones. Uh, so that's what you want to look at is getting one of the food safe ones just to make sure if, if some moisture falls on it, it's not going to explode and, you know, shoot your uh, built on full of glass. Um, so, so that, and then you can pretty much take a, uh, like a, I guess a tote with a lid, uh, that's, that's, um, I don't know, about 12 to 15 inches high, maybe about 20 inches wide and 25, 30 inches long. So something you would put your Christmas decorations in. You, you know, drill a bunch of holes on the one side. I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of, of, of putting uh, a filter on the side. So I try and put some kind of filter on the side. You stick a PC fan or two on the other side, you know, just a little, uh, uh, what's it, four, five inch, 120 volt uh, fan that you can plug straight into the, um, into the wall. Uh, you, and and then you you can go buy like gal rods, you know, from Home Depot, mm-hmm. and you just draw holes across the top, and and you just stick the gal rods through the box, and off you go. You you put a little pan or some paper at the bottom. You can buy it with some butcher paper. You just stick it in the bottom so it catches the drippings, and off you go. There you got a built-in box, man. It's simple as that. And I'm back to as long as air moves and you keep insects off it, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So what I, you know, if, if, if you want to just try this and, and not do uh, a lot of effort, what I recommend is get a little rack that can stand in your kitchen. You get a little box fan. You just plug it in your kitchen uh, a socket, just put it on the, uh, and, and just uh, you know, erect a little stand and you just hook the bolt on. Um, Literally with almost like a paperclip hook. I mean, you I just need a little wire hook that you could just put on the, you know, just hook into yeah. the meat so it can hang. You just hang it on your counter and you just let the fan blow over it. And, you, you know, three days you check how, if, it, if it's still squishy, you leave it another day. And then you just slice through it and you eat it. I mean, you don't have to do much effort to make this. If, you, if you're going to make it for, let's say, longer term consumption, then look into getting a box. We, we're actually looking into uh, importing some just so people can come buy them from us. Yeah. But I mean, most people just make them because they're so easy. Uh, but I mean, you can literally uh, take a little, uh, you know, I almost want to say like a, like a, a clothes dryer, something like that, but on small scale, just a little stand that will stand up on your counter. That's 10, 12 inches high. Yeah. You just hook it on that, you know, even like a little shelf, uh, uh, like a little bookshelf, you know, wire shelf, just a small one. Yep. That's maybe like, you know, 10 by 12 inches or 8 by 12. That just, just so you can lift it off the ground. You just, you don't want the meat to touch and you don't want the meat to lay on the ground. Yeah. As long as it's open in the air, it won't mold. I mean, just to give you my super low tech method, I have an, an eye hook in that wall and an eye hook in that wall and I have a clothesline with a bunch of knots tied in it. Yeah. And I take a paper clip, like you said, and you open it up so it makes like an S hook. Yeah. A hole in each piece and that the knot keeps them from sliding together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, it. that's it. That's and the only thing I do if I'm going to do that without putting something around it is I wait for the time of the year where we don't have flies. Yes. Like that's, that's, that's the big thing. Is yep. That's why you would want to put it in a box is yep. just to keep the insects off it, you know. Um, so you, if you if you hang it in a, in a room, uh, I mean, I've got – so a friend of mine, uh, he once or twice a year, he empties out his spare bedroom closet. Okay. 
and and he just hangs it on the pipe in the closet. Makes sense. He just hangs the biltong. He puts newspaper on the floor. His wife has, you know, a small heart attack every time he does it. So twice a year, she almost dies. <laughs> <laughs> but he says he'll take the punishment. And then yeah. he just puts a fan on it, and it just blows yeah. till it's dry, and he takes it down, he cuts it up, and he freezes what he doesn't use. And, I mean, built on freezes well. You can vacuum seal it. You can pack it away. It's, it's really good for survival stuff, man. For survival is yeah. food. It's real good stuff. You can freeze it, and if it's real dry, I've got some that I'm testing now. So they've been vacuum sealed uh, with some nitrogen, nitrogen. They've been on a shelf uh, at probably 78 degrees uh, for three months now, and there's no mold. And it's not hard, like sealed hard, like you would pull all the air out. Yeah. It's got nitrogen in it, so it's still you, you can still shake it around. I, yeah. I'm, and I'm trying to see how long this will last. So it's been three months and there's no mold. So I, I'm going to open it in about a month's time and I'm going to have some of it and we'll see how, how good it is. But, but I mean, if it's, if it's dry, so I'll tell you something else now, but if it's dry, it's basically shelf stable. And what people used to do, and a couple of my friends have told me, and some of my customers, you know, reminiscing from days when they were young in South Africa, is they used to take the bolt on. It used to just hang in the garage because the temperatures are a little bit more uh, mild than they are here, mm-hmm. less humidity up in the high felt uh, areas in South Africa, so kind of Pretoria, Johannesburg uh, kind of areas. And they they used to take the bolt on out of the, you know, in the garage, take it off the hook, and then they lay it in between sheets of newspaper. And they take a hammer and they, they, they beat the biltong into like a flat sheet and then they pull strips off it and they eat it like that. I could you see know? that. Yeah. I could so see that. Just kind of flatten it with a hammer. So like a, like a, like a meat tenderizing hammer, you would yeah. take something like that and you would just beat it, you know, in between like maybe two butcher sheets. You know, if we modernize the process a little from newspapers yeah. and, you know, yeah. the toolbox hammer. Who knows like, like, cadmiums in the newsprint or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. but uh, so so you take some butcher paper and you take like a like a tenderizing hammer and you just panel the biltong literally flat and, and the meat will start coming apart. So as it comes apart, you just pull strips off it and you eat those strips. You know, um, the one thing I would say not to do, because I tried it because I had so many people on me about it. Like, you should try this. Dehydrators. No dehydrator. I put no. X, put some in the next caliber. I said it. I think 85 is the lowest setting it'll go. Yes. So I said as low as it would go. And it did finish quicker, but it finished wrong. Because it dried more from the inside out rather than the outside in. Yes. And yes. it was, it was, it was, it was really good thick jerky. It was not yes. Hilton. It was yes, Hilton exactly. flavored beef jerky is what it was. Yes. That, that's, that's, and, and the, the thing is, you know, there, there are quite a few people that sell Biltong, you know, and, and I'll put that in, you know, quotes, uh, and it's dehydrated. It's not cured. You know, it's not air dried and, and all, all our products are, are air dried here. And, and that, if, if you don't air dry, even if you, no matter what you do, if, if that goes into a dehydrator, the taste is not the same. It, it's just not built on, you know, no. but it's not the same thing. And I agree with you there 100%. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, no way. It's not, it's not that it will be inedible, but like the two things side by side are so different that they just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, what are some of your favorite? I mean, obviously, just cut it and eat it. But you mentioned some other ways. You have some other ways to use finished biltong, like when you're eating it. Oh yeah. So so what what we do? I mean, you know, when you slice it, you can slice it real thin, and the thinner you slice it, you can you can put it on 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 
like bread. So, so what we do is we put it in omelets. Um, so, so you use it like a, 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 a type of a ham or cold meat. So we do it in omelets. You can put it on, on a sandwich. You can toast it inside a sandwich. You can make like a, a, a grilled cheese sandwiches, but you add biltong. And then you, if it's very dry, you can actually powder the biltong. And when you powder it, so, so we, we got a machine, but you can pretty much take like a grater and you can grate it on a fine, uh, you know, like a fine grate and you grate it into powder. And then you can use the powder in baking like scones. You can use the powder in eggs or anything. You can, you know, put it on bread as a powder. There's a lot of people. I mean, when we, when we have time, we make powdered biltong and we get a lot of people asking for it because they put it on, on eggs for their kids or they sure. put it on their sandwiches to school and stuff like that. It's a, we have like in South Africa, we got biltong flavored everything. So we even have a cheese spread that's got biltong in it. Huh, I, I, I would try that. Yeah. I, I remember when I read uh, Capstick's book about it, he said that, like, it's so innocuous in South Africa. It's like it's like peanuts or pizza in the United States. Like, it's yeah. everywhere. Like, you That's go to soccer everywhere. matches and guys are always said, you want a hot dog? They're walking around selling sticks of biltong at, like, soccer yes. games. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's everywhere. I mean, everywhere you go in, uh, uh, every supermarket, it's, it's, uh, it's completely ingrained into our culture. So, you know, like, yeah, when I came to America, it's kind of something you've got to think about, you know, it's like, all right, how am I going to make it? Where am I going to get it? But, but it's not a thought in South Africa. You buy your groceries, you buy some biltong, you know, you buy a couple of beers and you go home. It's just something you buy and it's available everywhere. And, Various flavors, various people making it. You know, you if you don't like one butcher, you could probably drive three blocks and buy it from a different one and get a different taste. So it's 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 one hundred percent part of our culture. Yeah. So all these different ways of using it just makes sense because when something's there that preeminently in your society, you're going to find other ways to use it. And oh yeah, some of it yeah, like we just dry stuff going you know? on eggs or whatever, like. So I have some biltong, I let it sit out instead of putting it away, it dried out. Now what do I do with it? Like a lot of stuff that we do comes from stuff like that. One of my favorite things yes. growing up, my other grandparents' side, the non-Ukrainian side, was um, the shaved beef with the cream. They called it shit on a shingle, you know. And my, yeah, yeah. They, my grandmother made that all the time, and everybody thought it was like crap food. Or I, I don't love this. Like this was like salty meat and gravy and toast. Like what do you yes. want, you know? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, you know, we, we used to, I mean, we do, we do a lot of grilling. So we, we, you know, set up a fire and then you, you kind of socialize around that. That's kind of your Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, either every day or at least one of those days, you'll have some friends around, you'll have, have a fire, you'll, each, each guy will bring some meat and whoever hosts for that day will have two or three pounds of biltong just sitting on the counter and everybody will be snacking from that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So instead of chips, remains, yeah. For yeah. as long as it remains. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you about a few of the things that you guys have beyond Biltong that you've sent to me that I've been really enjoying uh, and some of the things I didn't know about. And I think they kind of fit in this whole world of Biltong, some of them anyway. And I, Maybe I, I'm getting something wrong here, but you have a product you call a Sticks, S-T-I-X, and let me yes. get that up on the screen, and uh, not to put your Biltong down, but I, I almost like this better than the Biltong, but it's basically yeah, so, Biltong, but it's 
not? I mean, how yes. would you differentiate it? So, so this is this is still biltong, but what we do is we take the big slab and then we cut it in strips, much like jerky, mm-hmm. and then you dry that. So, so it's a lot more. It, it absorbs a lot more of the spice because it's it's much smaller pieces of of of, of beef that then get spiced individually, and we lay them out and dry them. So they still get air dried, but it's it's. I would say that's probably. Uh, it's a, it's like a jerky stick, but dried like biltong with biltong spice, almost yeah. if, if if for for lack of a better explanation. So so we we cut it thin like jerky sticks. And, do you, and then and, the entire drying process is it that small, or is it like you cure it to a point, cut it, and continue? Oh no no no! It's we cut it beforehand. So okay, so okay. you have this this yeah. So so we cut it when it's raw, and okay. then it goes through exactly the same process as biltong. And my my way of eating this, because it is a little tough if you're, like, chewing on it, yes. is I take a pair of shears and I just cut it in little, like, pieces. And then Absolutely. It's, like, it's like meat popcorn at that yes. point, man. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, we, we got, a, a, like, a slicer. So you take six or seven of them at once and you just kind of chop through them. And, okay. you know, you cut them, like, a half to a whole inch in length. And then you just, like you say, like popcorn. You just eat it. And it's really good. Really, really good. I think it's exactly what it is because you're on a a smaller piece of meat that the the, the seasoning gets more intensely infused yes. into the meat. And I I exactly. had no idea that that was a thing, even though I've had it before. Because a friend of mine from the show went to South Africa on a hunt, and since I'm a fiend for Biltong, he sent me a whole bunch of stuff from from South Africa straight to the States and it probably cost him more to ship it than it did to buy it. And uh, some of it was basically in that stick form. Like this is really good, but it's not built on, but it's built yes. on. Right. And so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So we, we just call it stick. Some, some, uh, some, uh, some of the places call them bites. So you'll get like chili bites or built on bites. Yeah. We just call them sticks because the bites are normally slightly smaller, uh, uh, kind of more crumbly bits. Uh, uh, we actually cut proper sticks out of them. So we just changed ours because it's more representative of what we make. Okay, now tell us about this because this this blew my mind. I had never heard of this before. I, I'm thinking it's pronounced Dewars. Dewars, yeah. So Dewars is basically dried sausage. <laughs> so 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 we take. Uh, a, a, a grind and we mix it with Worcestershire and spices and all kinds of stuff. So we mix it up and then we, we uh, uh, press it into casings and then we hang those casings and dry them. So it's a dried sausage, basically. It is. I, I almost completely destroyed an entire package of it in one go. <laughs> like it's it, very nice. It's very nice. It's, it's different than anything like, it's a meat stick. It kind of looks like, you know, your typical, it's nothing like any uh, meat stick I've ever had, you know, and I, I like cured meats period. So like, I'll try anything that's cured meat. It's very soft. Um, yes. And, and that's delicious. But I found I kind of like it out of the refrigerator because the fat, I guess, firms up a little bit in it because there's yes. fat in it. And I yes. kind of like it a little bit better that way. So uh, is that a very traditional South African thing? Yes, and again, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, per butcher can be completely different. Everybody makes it a little different. I make mine, so so most of the ones I've had in South Africa, I wasn't a big fan because you, you kind of, at the, it's, they're normally very fatty. Okay. And you kind of get a fat coating in your mouth, and a lot of people like that. 
I'm, I'm not a big fan. So, um, so we make ours more lean than the kind of traditional one because I, I just like it that way. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we have our own spice blend that we use for it. And, uh, it's, I mean, it, like you say, it comes out real good and I prefer it as well. If it's, uh, if it's not in the, uh, in the fridge, if, if it's, it's and yeah, you can see we're out of stock because out someone just stock. walked in and bought, yeah, someone just walked in and bought <laughs> a countless pounds of this stuff. So we out, we, we're making new ones tomorrow. So we'll be good again by the awesome. weekend. But, um, so, uh, I prefer it when it's uh, basically when it just comes off the, uh, out of the, uh, you know, drying process before yeah. it's gone in the fridge. It's awesome. Or if you leave it out of the fridge for like 30 minutes and let it just get up to room temperature a little bit, it tastes wonderful. Now, what about this stuff here? This, this cabanosi, I guess, cause this yes. isn't South African or is it? It's, it's yes. So, so, you know, when I, when I tried to figure out, uh, you know, because we had, we had a butcher in, in our city. And we, well, we had a couple, but the one made uh, cabanossi that I really enjoyed, um, and I wanted to try and replicate it. Now, mine's not as good as theirs, but it's it's a it's a decent uh, representation. So yours is freaking delicious, dude. I, I, yes, <laughs> I didn't even know you oh. made this, and it showed up. I'm like, what the hell is this? And I took a bite. I'm like, oh, this is mine. That's, that's yeah, that's, that's, that's so, so, so from the research I've done, it's actually a Polish sausage called a cabana. Okay, and and uh, well, a cabana or cabanos, and somehow this ended up. I found some of it in Australia, and I found, and of course we have it in South Africa, and there are different recipes. So some of it's all pork. We have a pork beef mixture, and then you you obviously got to put some curing salts and stuff in there because of the pork, and uh, you know some good spices, and yeah, we, everything we do in sausage is in lamb casing. I'm not a big fan of using pork casings for dried sausage. Um, we've got a traditional kind of just sausage grill that we make as well. That we'll do in pork casings, some of it. But for drying, you know, if you're going to cure meats, I try and avoid uh, uh, pork as far as possible. On the on the uh, cabanossi, you can't avoid pork. It's part of the mixture. So we use some salts for that. But I, I stay away from the casings as pork. Okay. So it's all lamb casings. Okay. Well, that is probably my favorite thing I've ever eaten from you guys. And I, and yeah. I'm a complete freak for Biltong, but that was like, and I think mostly it was that I never had it before. Yes. Like the, that's, that's very good. The, the new wars I'd never had before, but I've had things very, very similar. It was like, yes. this is like a totally new, unique, shiny thing that I need to eat now. Um, yes. I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the business aspect of things. Cause I think it's very cool that you've taken something you're obviously passionate for because you grew up with it and you've translated it into a business. But in reading your stuff, my understanding is kind of, you had more of like a restaurant type yes. location and then COVID's hit. And then, you know, you get, everybody's locked down, even where you're not locked down, people are afraid to go out and people had to adapt and beginning to manufacture and ship built on was an, an adaptation to that. Yes. So, so, like I said, when, when I came to the U.S., I met my wife and, and she really liked the food. So she probably laid into me for about two years that we need to open something making the food. And okay. I eventually I gave, you know, I gave in. I said, all right, well, let's, let's try this. So we, we opened a little, uh, uh restaurant. It was, it was like a thousand five hundred square feet with a kitchen and everything just to, you know, to, to, if, if you're going to experiment, you don't want to do this on a large scale. And, you know, if, if, if you, 
if you, if it doesn't work, you know, you in, in so much debt, you can never recover. So, you know, we try to keep it small and, you know, because there's going to be a lot of experimentation because the food's different, you know, it's, uh, you, you're going to have a lot of hits and a lot of misses. And we wanted to have enough scope to experiment and not, you know, not spend $10,000 a month in, in rent and an overhead, uh, to try and see where this goes. Well, we, we just kind of, I mean, we opened in 2019 in August. Uh, we opened in June and then our official launch was the 1st of August 2019. And we just kind of got off our feet, started finding a direction. Of course, COVID came. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where I'm from, there's no assistance. You know, if, if you're in trouble, you, you kind of got to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, look, we, you know, what we're going to do, uh, our, our hours used to be, so we used to be open for breakfast and lunch. So we used to be 6.30 to about, I think, 3.30 or something in the afternoon. So I thought, okay, the first thing we do is we expand our hours. So we go from 6.30 to like 6.30 at night. So we, we stretch the hours because we don't have to dine in. So we got to try and see where we're going to get our income from. Um, so we stretched our hours and then we had to figure out what people wanted for home use uh, because nobody's coming in to dine. So you've got to try and adapt to get people to get, you know, to take stuff home. So we swung around and started manufacturing all kinds of stuff. So we had uh, a chutneys, which is like a savory jam. We started manufacturing chutneys. We have uh, what we call pastry pie, so it's almost like an empanada, uh, but you bake it in the oven and it's got f- uh, fillings inside, uh, you know, like uh, protein, like meat fillings, so different flavors of meat inside the inside the pastries. So we made some uh, before uh, COVID, but we jacked that up. And then, of course, biltong, we just jacked up big time. Because that's easily flippable. It's high well, dollar relative to weight. It's yes. small. Like, you don't have to put ice packs in. You just send it. Yes. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we, we tried to, to find a, a, a market, uh, you know, to support us, uh, and, you know, to, because, you know, we, we basically, so, so what happened was in November 2019, uh, my wife had our youngest daughter and she was involved in the hospitals, uh, you know, in the medical field. Uh, so, in March, we decided to pull her out and we're just going to focus on the business because the business got to a point where we should be able to sustain the two of us. And then in April, COVID. So, so then, you know, we, we had, we, we had no uh, 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 additional income. Let's put it that way. We didn't have income from outside. So we had to make a plan, uh, you know, to sustain ourselves. And then this is where all the, all right, we're going to ma- manufacture and we're going to get built on and we're going to do a bunch of stuff. So we just kept making plans on how to, uh, you know, how to, get food and things in people's hands and as much as possible for home cooking. And about halfway through probably uh, we're 2020, probably by about October 2020, we decided that we should focus on building a market and, you know, expanding as much as possible on the build up. And that's what we did. And we've been building that ever since. So we opened our entire grocery market in, uh, in uh, 2021. Uh, I think September, uh, August, September 2021. And now we've shut down uh, subsequently the, the restaurant's gone. That doesn't exist anymore because everything else has grown so much gotcha. that it's just outpaced. And so the restaurant's a storeroom <laughs> for all the stock we got. And and uh, half of it we use for built-on curing and we've just changed our entire business model, you know, completely. Yeah. Well, you do what works in business. And I think what you found is a niche that, you know, really works for you guys and it it makes sense part of what's 
why I think it works is because you've come into a place that in the last 10 years has gotten a lot of awareness. Like people are aware of Biltong now, kind of like if you go 30 years back and you ask somebody what a mead was, they had no idea. Now everybody knows what mead is. And unfortunately, yes. commercial meads have made people think meads suck because commercial yes. meads are overly sweet and overly priced. And they're basically grape wine with honey added, which is not a mead. And I yes. think Biltong has something similar going on. There's a lot of kind of lightly cured jerky being sold as Biltong that doesn't yes. seem to be traditionally made properly. And it's also stupid expensive. Like a third of an ounce is like 10 bucks. So somebody goes out and spends 10 bucks and they get this little tiny bit and they're like, okay, it was jerky. I'll just go back to eating Jack links or something like that. Yes, exactly. exactly. Or like, you know, I looked up doors on Amazon while we were chatting and you know, like the net price is like $70 a pound. Yes. Wow. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Now they're not selling a pound at that price, but they're selling like two ounces and you do yes. the math and it's $70 a pound. And like, so you come in, you reasonably priced, not cheap because it's high quality product, traditional method, uh, and, and high availability and high variety. So like, there's not a lot of other places. Cause like, you actually hit me up in one of my live streams in the chat. That's right. Like, That's we right. Make time, like, you'll send me some. And I'm like, we'll see. I mean, it literally is what I said to myself when you said, I'm like, we'll see. <laughs> because I've had so much of it. I, I'll just rather make my own. Yes. yes. That's why I was willing to work with you right from the beginning. As soon as I got my hands on, I'm like, okay, you make the real shit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the email that came in yeah. and you were like, yeah. wow. Wow. <laughs> you make real, real Biltong, right? Like, like you, I'm sure you were like, well, what the hell did you think I make? It's called Anton's land of Biltong. Well, I didn't know what I would get because I've had so much that again is like under dried jerky. That that's yes. how I would describe it. Or I've had some that's pretty good, but the price is dumb. Like yes. it's just stupid and there's no large quantity you can buy. It's you know, you're yes. buying little like literally point three three ounce packages. Yes. Like that's I, that's that's the problem that's with a lot I of it. I lick off my fingers when I'm done, right? That's yeah. not that's not eating biltong. No, exactly. You know, it's that's the problem. Is you know, a lot of the it's it's either not really biltong or it's just stupid expensive. You know, yeah. you, you you. I mean, if you do the calculations, you're going to forty eight, fifty, sixty, seventy dollars. I mean, we sell bison for sixty dollars a pound. You know, our landed cost uh, before we've even touched the bison is somewhere in the twenty five or something. You know, for the raw before product. Before so cure it, yeah. Before yeah. we cure it, you know. Uh, I mean, these guys are selling biltong or, or what they call biltong at, at kind of those prices. It's crazy, you know. So, but they're using I mean, cheap, the cheapest eye of round. They can well, get their hands on or something or like you know, bottom round or something. And yeah, I, I had a I had a talk with someone. You know, someone contacted me because we we growing. So you know, we get a lot of people contacting us for various things. And and this guy was looking at maybe working with us for some uh, uh, equipment supply, etc. And he got on to me about the quality of our meat. And he's like, "Why are you using such high quality meat? People won't know." And I'm like, "No." Of course, you've got to use good quality meat. You know, yeah. there's a lot. We can go a lot cheaper, but I think it reflects in the end product. Um, you know, so people are, are using not good quality meat and they're charging a real premium for it, uh, which I think is a shame. You know, I think you don't have to buy the best meat, but you can buy decent quality and you can make a good product and you can be uh, priced well. Uh, and, and, and supply people something unique uh, at a good price. I, I think it's all doable. You know, it means you have to work a little harder because your margins aren't as good. But you know what? Everybody can have a little bit of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, you know, what I like about what you do too is you let people choose. So you want just plain old traditional Angus? Okay, you can have that. You want Wagyu? Well, you can have that. You want bison? You can have that, right? So like people choose how much they want to spend based on what they want to buy, which is how I buy everything. Like I like red wines, but not every bottle of red wine that I crack open is like, uh, you know, a a hundred dollar bottle of wine. That's, that's very rare. But yes. sometimes I do, right? Yes. Uh, but generally, you're looking at like a twelve, fifteen, eighteen dollar bottle of wine when we have a bottle of wine. Yes. And I think that you can look at gourmet food the same way. Like I'm going to buy the majority of this, but maybe I'm going to have people over and do something kind of cool, and I'm going to serve bison, right? Like exactly. But guys, and you got to try the freaking dry sausages, both of them. I'm telling you. you know, I'm- on the bison, the bison and the Japanese Wagyu. So those we do per slab. So the price is listed. We've actually got the whole slab. Okay. And then you can pick if you want it sliced or if you want it uh, a whole. And we can ship yeah. it to you a whole uh, or we can ship it to you sliced, you know, and we'll slice it up and package it before it leaves. So we pretty much, the orders we get in, as we get them in, we, we freshly slice and pack the built-up. Oh, wow. So there's no product sitting on the shelf here waiting for people to order it. Uh, the, 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 the bison and the Japanese Wagyu, we, that as it comes down, you know, as it's done drying, we basically take it and we, we, uh, we, we seal it up and then we, we list it. So it's in the store. You can actually walk in and buy it and we put it online. And then as it, you'll see some of them, uh, you know, at the, at the top showed out of stock. And as it, as it goes out of stock, we take that and whatever the requirement was of the customer, we'll slice it up for you and package it. And it's normally, same day or next day. So if it's early enough, we'll package it today and it ships today or we'll package it late this afternoon and it ships tomorrow. So it's literally a day from, from being uh, shipped. It gets sliced and packaged. So it's real fresh stuff. And I should point out to people as well, in case they don't know, if you're an MSB member and you want to order from Anton's website and just the Biltong site, because he has the other site we'll talk about in a second where he's got all kinds of cool stuff. But on the Biltong side, it's I think it's ten percent, but there's a discount. Yes. There's a yes. there's a ten percent discount. Yeah. Okay. And on the on the on the Biltong site, if you go over forty six bucks, it's free shipping anyway. Okay. That that's so cool. you get your ten percent plus free shipping, so it's like a double bonus. That that's awesome. And you yeah. should buy more because trust me, if you buy a little bit, you're gonna wish you would have bought more when it's gone, and it will be gone. Uh, I can I can tell you flat out, it will be gone. What it, you know, you've mentioned that you kind of moved over to uh, almost all that you're doing now is on the the store, the web store, and the Biltong side, and and that worked. Did, was it just like an organic growth, or did you find uh, specific marketing channels that worked really well for you? How how did you grow your your niche business? So we originally it was organic uh, because you know we we had an existing customer base. So 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 what we did originally uh, we had a lot of People come for for the food because the food was unique. But then what we did was uh, they, they would come in for a meal and we would give them biltong as samples. So we were joking, uh, you know, because we, when you make food from scratch like we did, so we, we made everything in our restaurant was made from scratch by myself and maybe one guy in the back. And all we did was kind of, you know, I made biltong and then we made food uh, uh, for the restaurant. And we used to use the restaurant as the marketing tool for business. So you come for a meal and then you get built on and the money was in the built on, not in the food. <laughs> so, so our, our restaurant was literally used for marketing for built on. And then as we started getting groceries in, we, we actually changed the entrance. So you would walk through the grocery store 
through, you know, through all the groceries into the uh, uh, restaurant in the back. Okay. So that way people can see all the groceries and then they come, you know, they'll have a meal and come back and then they'll buy some candy and they'll buy some, you know, stuff to take home and they'll buy some biltong. So that was, but then, you know, that got to a point where the restaurant was now starting to lag behind. So it, it became, I, I was, I was actually uh, joking with my wife and I said, you know, it feels like the restaurants, the canteen at Sam's. So you go buy, you know, stuff at Sam's Club. So you go buy groceries and you just go have a, you know, a, a drink and a, and a sandwich in the, in the, in the canteen. Uh, so, so that's what it started happening. The, the percentage of business in the, in the restaurant got so low that it started becoming a hindrance, which is why we closed it because, you know, we have to divert our attention, uh, to where, you know, the, to what pays the bills basically. Um, so, so we use the restaurants as the marketing. And then once we got the store to a point where it was big enough, we started using, uh, you know, some social media, like, like, you know, I contacted you. We have a few channels that we, we kind of, uh, uh work on to get our, our word out. Uh, I, I will, anybody who wants to start a business, traditional media is dead. Great. Just forget about it. Don't waste your money on magazines. Don't waste your money on newspapers. They don't work. Not if you've got something unique, forget about it. If it's a mainstream thing, maybe it's fine. But for us, I mean, we spent thousands of dollars on magazines and all kinds of ads, man. And that, you know, we had a, we had a, on the back of a, of the, of the Tom Thumb receipts, there's a, some sales you can take the receipt to some place and you can go redeem whatever. So we had for a year, we had a ad running on the back of it of two Tom Thumb receipts. Uh, where you could get one breakfast sandwich and uh, buy one and get one free. And okay. we had two redemptions in a year. Yeah. So, and yeah. you know, that I, I think it cost us like $700 a month, man. It, you know, it's like for nothing. You got nothing out of it. So yeah. don't waste your money on that. I just, I don't think, I, I think the traditional media, you know, they might be for certain things, um, but, but traditional media is dead. It's, it, it doesn't, do yeah unless you unless you're a franchise or you know unless you're a big name or unless yeah i don't know maybe if you install pools i don't know but for what we do it did not work like not at all so let's take a few questions we got a few here i think this one we really kind of hit already but we'll speak to it again quick hogus says how do you keep pests and insects off your built on while curing that's where these boxes come in and literally like to me uh just a framed out one by two with Hardware cloth on it would do that. Any anything that creates a physical barrier is kind of, to me the best way to go. And then the other thing is, like I said, I usually make mine in the winter. We just don't have flies in the winter here, and I make it right back there behind my head. You got yes. anything to add yes. to that? Yes. Uh, so uh, you want to put it in an enclosure. Uh, hold on a second. My kids just found me. You got to go out, sweetie. I'm busy on the on the. Yeah, come go out, go out. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry. I got three kids, so they just found me. I've been hiding away. Right. <laughs> um, but so so uh, that's why I said you know the box with the enclosure. Uh, so so you can use like a tote, um, and you can stick a filter on the one side. You can get the Dell rods from uh, from like Home Depot. So you you can go get uh, like a tote. You would put your Christmas decorations in and stick it in your ceiling. Something that's got a lid on it. You can put a filter on the one side. You can stick dowel rods through it. Make sure it's probably 18 inches high. So just, you know, so your bolt doesn't hang on the ground. Stick a PC fan on the other side. And then you just, you know, you hang your bolt on, you 
put the lid on it and you close it up and that way nothing gets in it, you know. So I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of just drilling holes on the one side because insects can climb through it. So yeah. I like to put some kind of cloth over it, just something to, you know, that can suck the air through but keep the insects out. And that would be, you know, that would be that. Uh, I mean, you know, if, like you say, time of the year. So, so you want to try, especially if you're not going to do it in your house per se. If you, if you have high humidity, it'll mold, it'll go rancid. You've got to keep the humidity down. Uh, so if you're going to make it in your garage, which is fine, you know, you've got to do kind of this time of the year, you know, November, December. If it gets too cold, it'll freeze. It won't uh, cure. So, you know, kind of January might be out this side. And then, of course, if you're up north in the country, you know, you've got to watch your temperatures. If it's too cold, it'll just freeze your, your meat, you know. Yeah, and I'm going to bring up real quick here kind of one made out of a tote um, so people can kind of see. This guy made his with uh, metal rods, but like you said, it could be any rods just for people yeah. to see. So, There's an yeah, example. that's it. Exactly, exactly. And you could stick, I mean, of course, if you're going to stick a light bulb in it, you've got to make sure that it's like a little bit more durable than that box, but that'll work fine. You don't need yeah. the light bulb. You don't need that'll a light work bulb. fine, no. And I, I normally advise if, you know, I don't like using any metal. If you're going to use metal, generally aluminum is, is food safe. So try and use aluminum rods. If, you know, if you don't know if it's stainless, rather go for aluminum. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, wood dowels are cheap and yeah, you're, you're holding up a piece of meat. You're not holding up a, a house. Yeah. Like, and also you're going to put a hook in the meat. So it's not like you're sticking the wood dowel through the meat. You know, you yeah. put the hook uh, into the meat and then you hook the other side onto the dowel. So the meat won't touch the wood. Yeah, and another thing I've used for hanging, other than just the paper clips, is I've also taken um, the removable zip ties, and you poke a yes. hole through the meat, and then you can. Oh yeah, that'll work. They come right I mean, off, like you know. I have I'm like a thousand on, uses for those things. Yeah, I, I bought a bunch of uh, just like an S hook. Yeah. So I, I bought stainless steel S hooks because I use them all the time. Yeah, and then we just wash them. You know, we 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 stick them through uh, wash. And I mean, something else I would advise people to do, uh, and and we just get it from Sam's Club. Is there's a sanitizer that you can buy? Uh, it's a restaurant sanitizer. It's kind of a pinkish liquid, and it's you use very little by yourself. A kind of spray bottle, and then all you do is when you make the the bolt-on, just spray or any any cured meat for that matter. Just spray your your knife and your cutting board, and just spray it with some sanitizer. Spray your hands. That way you kill any of the bacteria and then you just work, you know, and your hooks, spray them down with a, a you know, from the, from the spray bottle. I, I'm, I'm going to speak under correction here, but I think it's like an ounce of, uh, uh, an ounce of the sanitizer to, uh, like a pound. I, I mean, I don't know fluid ounces, but it's, it's like, I think it's like 10 or 15 milliliters. So it's, uh, say a half an ounce to about, uh, 750 mil water. So it's, it's like a pound of water tube, like a half ounce of sanitizer type thing. If you put it okay. on a scale, um, and then you just mix it in a spray bottle, man. You spray it on your hands, you spray it on your hooks and stuff. And it'll, you know, if there's anything that might cause a problem, that'll just take care of it. You could spray it on your wood dells and then just hang everything up, spray your box on the inside. So you know, there's nothing running around there. Yeah. And that's it, man. And then just if you work clean, you're good. Salt. Salt and acid on the meat, so we're yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very hard to make a it's hard to make a mess of it, man. <laughs> yeah, hanging it out in the bush and the what I what, what Capstick always said is that it was traditionally made in the dry season. That that yes. was you know that was the way that they environmentally did it. Yes, 
Anyway, uh, K-Bonk has a question on salt types, high mineral contact, basic salt. Would it matter? Like, do you put any thought into the salt you use? So we, we just use a basic, like, coarse kosher salt, so like Morton's coarse kosher salt. We've got uh, a spice company that supply us. Uh, so because we obviously use bulk, so I've given my recipe to a spice company. They mix it from bulk and send so it back to me. I got you. Yeah, it's pre-made because it's just, you know, to, to try and make the bulk we make and still make spices as well. So I've given it to them. They ship it to me in, like, underground boxes. Um, but the salt I use inside of it is, of course, uh, like a, a, a flaky sea salt. Okay. Uh, the salt type doesn't really matter. Uh, I don't think too much. I like to use a, the flaky sea salt, like the, 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 the kosher, uh, Morton kosher flaky salt. Yeah. It just works nicely for me. Um, wh- what I would recommend is if you do find a salt you like, uh, and of course, uh, I mean, uh, there's so many salts on the market. There's, some of them are real expensive. If you find one, uh, because remember, it's going to go on the bull tongue. So you don't want to use, uh, I mean, I've got some, uh, uh, I can't remember that it's basically Celtic salt. I've got a salt here that's like 30 bucks for two pounds. You know, you don't want to yeah. use something like that. That's no. unnecessary. Um, but if you find a salt you like, you know, write down your weights. Uh, so you've got a basis to work off. So if you make your recipe, write down what you use. And then try and buy the same salt over and over because salts do change all, all kinds of stuff, you know. So, so, so here's a, here's a couple of tips. Roast your coriander before you grind it. That just brings out the flavor. So roast the coriander. Uh, use a probably 16-ish mesh, 16 mesh black pepper. It's a little coarser. Uh, it works a little better. A 25 mesh is about a, a normal, uh, table, uh, coarse black pepper. So you want slightly coarser, uh, you probably find a restaurant grind or something like that. So just slightly coarser black pepper, uh, a flaky sea salt. Uh, like I said, I, I used to use the, uh, the, the, the Morton's kosher. I've got a different one now. Uh, I can't remember the exact name, but it's, it's on our website. The salt is there. So I use that. It's also a kosher salt, uh, a flaky salt. It's just uh, the Morton salt seems to be a little hard to get a hold of. And this is more, uh, I can get a hold of this a little easier. So we yeah. use it in our bulk production. Um, so, so a flaky sea salt is what I prefer. Uh, I, I use the honey granules. You can use some brown sugar if you want in your in your mix, uh, just a little bit. You don't want it. To, you don't want to get it sweet. You just want to use it for the for its uh, its preservative properties. And if you're in like DFW or any kind of humid area, like add a pinch or two baking uh, 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 baking soda, just like a small pinch, and mix it in. Don't put too much in because if you put too much in, it'll be bitter. So yeah. You want it just a little bit, and it just helps to kill the mold if mold would form. That's that's for humid areas. If you're not in humid areas, you can reduce the sugar and you can take away the baking soda completely. Like it, in the in the drier areas, in the in the kind of uh, center north of South Africa, baking soda is not used. But at the coastal areas, it's recommended to be used. So high humidity areas, it's just for for mold prevention. But you gotta just gotta use just a little bit of that. And I would say for the homemaker, you may not be doing it by weights. Like, I don't ever give anybody weights. Like, this container, here's about how much I would have in the refrigerator overnight before it yes. comes. You're making yes. huge batches. You have to comply with the FDA and all. But this yes. is why I'm completely in agreement with something with a coarse, flaky salt. Because I do it by eye, and you'll get to, you'll know what you like. If you're using a fine yes. salt, it's very hard. Yes. Because it hits the meat and it's gone, where the flaky yes, exactly. stuff or the kosher stuff kind of stays visible for a while before it starts to get, you know, absorbed into the meat. Yes. You can get a very good visual on how much. And for black pepper, again, if you're making this much, you should have in your kitchen, if you care about flavor, a pepper mill. 
and yes. set your pepper mill to the grind you're looking for, you know. And uh, again, for the homemaker, small batch, I I found a lot of like I've talked to tons of people that do different cured meats, especially like old Italian guys from prosciutto and stuff. And when you ask them how much salt per pepper, they're always like, no, no, <laughs> exactly, no. No, I look and I know, and I'm like, but how do I? You'll know if you do it. You'll know, like yes, exactly, you know, exactly. So yeah, that that's the that's the thing for for home. I mean, you know, you'll you'll see, you know, and feel. I mean, it took me a long time to be able to convert things into whites. I used to just cook by feel and by taste, and and if that's how you do it, you know, just you you do it the way you think you you would like it. I mean. But again, you're you talking know, about making five pounds of raw meat in the in the biltong or, or ten pounds, where you're making you know maybe a hundred pounds a batch or more, right? Yes, so yes, exactly. Do things differently in your world. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we got to be consistent. You know, if yours is a little more salty this time, a little less salty next time, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We have to be consistent all the time. You know, so so um, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. The the biggest thing is uh, roast your coriander. You can roast it in a pan. You know, yeah. on the on the on the range, you could just kind of heat it and roast it and get a little bit of smoke going on it, and then grind mm-hmm. it up. And I mean, you could pretty much grind that. I, I would, if if you're gonna make uh, something like that, I would buy a little uh, like a small coffee grinder. Uh, and yeah, you know, like it's a little coffee grinder, spice grinder. You just throw it in there, grind it up, uh, and you can you know see if it's too coarse or not coarse enough. And then the one other piece of advice I'll give you is if you want to make a bit of chili biltong, if you want to add a little bit of uh, uh, bang to it, get yourself some peri-peri. Uh, uh, it's a real nice spice, a real nice spice for, for, yeah. for spicing up. So I use a little bit of red pepper flakes, a crushed red pepper, um, and then I use peri-peri. It's just that the heat on the peri-peri is a lot smoother, if I can put it that way, than yeah. then a lot of the kind of uh, jalapeno, habanero kind of heat, you know? I'm kind of a freak for, like, the different tin fishes, especially with, like, from Portugal and Spain and all of that. That's a very uh, common thing in a lot of their tin yes. food is the peri-peri pepper. Yes. I believe yeah. actually uh, comes from Africa. Yes, it's a, it's, the, it's an African bird's eye chili. Yeah, yeah. Peri-peri. And there's all kinds of ways. It's got yes. heat, but it's, I find it to be less... Like if you have like uh, like a habanero style heat or something like that, and maybe not even as hot, maybe like a serrano or something, it gets in your mouth and it stays. And yes. like the peri peri is it? It's got some persistence, but it's got less. I guess is the way. Yes. I so so it kind of it kind of slowly comes in, gets to a to a kind of a heat, and then it slowly dissipates. Where yeah. you know, I've, I, sometimes I feel with some of the other peppers, like the the habanero, it's like a punch in the mouth. Like yeah. it's there and it just burns you. And, and the peri kind of smooth. Yeah, the peri comes in real smooth, kind of heats up, and you know every bite you take kind of adds a little bit of heat, and then it slowly dissipates again. It's it's a real smooth uh, uh, heat. I really like it. So that that's the pepper I would suggest if, okay. if you want to use it because it's more traditional to what. That's the secret, huh? guys. That the, he gave away some inside info on the inside baseball there, real quick, and then we're gonna like tell people where they can go get all this stuff. Uh, Kayvon has one more question for you. Is there a rehydration of biltong and cook with it in dishes? I have heard of people using, like, the powdered as, like, a thickener in soups and stews, but you got anything else? 
Yeah, so um, it's just, you know, you've got to watch the price point here because biltong is expensive. But yeah. so we have this thing uh, that we call a poiki. So a poiki is like a pot, basically, and you make it on a fire outside. So we have these three-legged pots and we stick some, you know, hot charcoal under them and then you cook in the pot outside and it's like a traditional South African kind of uh, fair, I would say. Uh, so you'll have a bunch of mates around and you'll put oxtail or chicken or lamb oh. neck or whatever and you'll make a stew but the secret is you don't stir it. So you kind of pack it in layers of, uh, you know, uh, cooking time. So your kind of carrots and onions go at the bottom, then your meat, and then you start putting your vegetables and stuff on top, so your potatoes, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. But you never stir it until the end, and then you dish it up. Um, so people make that kind of stew. They use biltong for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. I would have a hard time putting my biltong into a stew. Agreed. I've never done that because I just eat it. I, I eat yeah, it while I, I cook a oxtail, you know? <laughs> it's like you mentioned earlier, like you wouldn't turn a filet into biltong and I probably exactly. wouldn't turn biltong into soup because it's the pieces of little scraps and all. That's where most of the stews, the soups came from. Yes. It's yes. probably pretty good. And then can you tell people about, you have two websites that they can check out, right? Yes, so so the the first one, so the all Biltong website is uh, landofbiltong.com. So yeah, so um, this website's all Biltong. We've got spices on there, but it's basically Biltong and spices and one or two South African treats and a little bit of merch, etc. But uh, this is all Biltong, and 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 on this website is like I said, forty six bucks free shipment. You know, we we try and uh, and get the product out there. So the philosophy and and uh, this to the marketing question you asked me. So. With a, you know, with us noticing not a great pickup um, with with traditional media, you know, if you use magazines, etc. So what we've done is we've we've decided to subsidize shipping in uh, and get products in people's hands. Okay. Instead of putting ads in papers, so I'd rather take a beating on product and get it to you and 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 eat some of it and uh, you know eat some of the cost. Uh, and then you have something you can actually try. And if it's, if it's not what you like, then at least you know, and you didn't, you know, break your bank to get it. Okay. So that's, a, that's the kind of philosophy we went to. So that's the Anton's, uh, so it's landofbiltong.com. Uh, it's Anton's land of Biltong. And then of course my, my handle, you know, not, not to, uh, 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 you know, to be too facetious, but my handle on, on, on Twitter. And then normally when I do the rumble chats and stuff, I try and, you know, kind of avoid the YouTubes. Um, that's King of Biltong. So I'm the King of Biltong of my king land of Biltong. So there we go. Right. <laughs> and then we got Anton's Meet and Eat, which was our original site. Um, so that's all our groceries and everything else. So the, the kind of bison Japanese wagyu and the specialist, specialized stuff you can't get on the Anton's website. But you can get everything else plus a whole bunch of groceries and all kinds of things. And we're expanding on this. So we're doing more groceries. It's all, so it's all imported. Nothing's locally, uh, uh, sourced. We've got a couple of breads on here and stuff as well. So, uh, but all our groceries are imported and we find that the, uh, preservatives, et cetera, used in the imported groceries are not as, uh, 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 you know, as much of it as you would find locally. So no corn syrups, no soybean oil, no, you know, very limited on MSG and things like that. So, you know, what we tell people is it's slightly more, uh, a kind of whole foods, uh, uh, you know, that kind of line. So it's slightly healthier groceries. Uh, and, and that's how we market it. 
Very cool. And I, I, I think there's a huge reality to what you just said there. Uh, I follow one particular creator on TikTok, and all this person does is show the labels and the ingredients on the same food like in Europe and the United States. Yeah. So, like you can buy Doritos in the United States. There's like a third of the ingredients in them, though. Yes, exactly. We, we put you know, uh, 66% more stuff, and almost all the stuff that we put in is stuff that you like – you're trying to kill us is how I feel like, yes, yes, exactly. clearly the bag of Doritos in England can sit on the shelf and not go bad and people buy it and eat it. So all this other crap, you would think adding more crap would, you know, make it more difficult to produce. But uh, I, I think poor health is the goal of the, the mainstream food industry. That uh, I do not people that own the mainstream food industry on the pharmaceutical industry and the medical device industry. So, I'm just saying yes. you might want to think about what you eat. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We we try and promote, you know, read the labels, look at what's in the uh, products you use, even as much as spices. You know, we found a lot of spices, uh, commercially available spices have all kinds of uh, stabilizers and thickeners and taking so, um, agents and stuff. Exactly. And like. Exactly. You know, so we try and the products we provide, we try, I mean, the commercially uh, available products we buy in from uh, abroad. I mean, they have in what they have in. The spices that we sell and the, that we use have none of that in. So all the uh, the you'll see there's there's kind of bigger spice bottles. Uh, I don't know if the if the name is on our website called uh, it's Southern Style Spices. It's a local company in Texas. We use their spices. That's all clean uh, and what's on the, uh, you know, they explain exactly what's in the bottles and what you get. So it's real, real clean spices. That's that we exclusively use those spices in our uh, in our manufacturing. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, uh, folks, uh, I have uh, Anton's two websites, uh, his Instagram and Facebook for both sides of the business. That's all in the audio notes that will be available about 30 minutes after we finish the live stream. We always get somebody's like, it's not there yet. Well, we're not done yet. Right. I have to finish and I have to get the audio version up. But right down in the video notes, if you're watching the video, right in like the first line, there's a link to where that'll be. So if you didn't write it down or whatever, don't worry. And if you're an MSB member, make sure you use the discount code because it only works if you use the code. So I don't know where people get this, but sometimes they get a member like, well, I ordered from so-and-so and I didn't get a discount. Did you put the code in? No. Well, then you wouldn't get it. How would they know? I don't have like my database synced up with all my vendors, right? Like that. That's not a good uh, privacy setting if we were doing <laughs> yeah. that, right? So you got to log in to the MSB. Go to the section that call, called benefits. Look for Anton's Land of Biltong, and the code is right in there. And if you don't have an MSB membership, you don't get a code. That's how it works. Like that's that's how we do this. That's how we pay the bills around here. So yeah, just uh, on, on that. I just want to Biltong, you know, your MSB membership, you can knock a lot of the cost out just with Biltong. That's a pretty good discount. Sorry, I just wanted to add in there the the original wording I gave you a couple of months ago still says twelve and a half. The discount is ten because okay. prices have gone up. I I owe you some new wording. So just for the people. That'll probably give me a hard time. You know, uh, the, 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 um, the discount is only 10 right okay, now. Let me fix that. I, I'm going to do that right now. He might be listening right now. I'm just going to set that there and I'm just going to put 10% and I'll finish the email to Tom to change it as soon as we're done. Anyway, Anton, this is great. I really appreciate you, uh, you being with us today. I think people learned a lot. I think if you want to try making Biltong, by all means, go do it. 
Uh, I would also say, you know, give give Anton's product a shot. Put an order and get some. Hey, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, family gatherings. What a cool thing. And I would say, like, I didn't realize that you could order individual specific weight slabs of some of the more expensive stuff. Oh, yeah. I think that's really cool. And I think it makes a lot of sense to have it pre-sliced if you don't own a meat slicer or something. But for something that's like a holiday party or a group coming over, slicing it for people as you serve it is kind of cool, too. So you might want to think about doing that. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to expose people to new things. And one of the things I love about food in general and specifically the type of food you have all from South Africa uh, and with the influences there. Cause if you look, there's a lot of multicultural influences there too, because there's a yeah, lot absolutely. of people that came from, like you said, like the one, the one sausage actually originated in Poland, but somehow ended up having its own version in South Africa. Yes. It's the single easiest way to experience other cultures is to eat their food. Yes. And I, I think it really helps you develop an understanding beyond your own borders, uh, you know, not to get too woo-woo or anything. But really, I think it does. And it's part of what I love about it because a trip to Thailand is really expensive, but you can learn how to make really great Thai food. Yeah. Right? And then well, you have I, I, some window into the life of other people. Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. So, something we've done here a little bit. Um, if, if you want to upgrade your uh, charcuterie boards. Oh. Instead of, you know, you just put the biltong on instead of, uh, you know, whatever other kind of shop, you know, store-bought manufactured dried meats. Yeah. And, you know, we've got yeah, that's proper better fresh. than the freaking garbage salami that comes yeah, in. Exactly. 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 So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? And we get, we get a lot of people that come in for that and they'll buy, you know, a, a quarter pound or half a pound of uh, two or three different ones. So they'll get some Wagyu, they'll get some Angus, yeah. uh, you know, and then they'll take that and put that on their boards and that'll be your meat. You've got some chutneys, um, so I'm, I'm not sure if people are familiar, but a chutney is basically like a savory jam. Yep. So it's like a, like a jam uh, or preserves, but it's got normally mustard and uh, some some uh, let's say garlic and onions. And so, so it's like a, it's like a jam, but it's savory, and you use it as a condiment with uh, sausage and stuff like that. Yep. So they'll buy a little bit of chutney, put that with some biltong, and then you know have the normal other stuff, the cheeses and that. So that's just an idea of and it, that man, that's a big upgrade on that charcuterie board. That is an upgrade, and that made me think of something else. I've done with a lot. I, I, I do boards. I have a board addiction. I have way too many boards, <laughs> uh, and I like to do the boards up. Like, even if it's just me and my wife, I like to make them look nice. Yes. And one of the things I've done with really good sausages, like your Dewars or uh, Costco makes a product called a Little Langanger, and they're, like, a great deal, and they're lacto-fermented and all. You would think that little stick wouldn't make a good thing on a charcuterie board. Slice it on a bias so that it has, so you know, you know, you're getting this long, thin, yes, long, yes. Right? and then a little bit of like a whole seed mustard with that. Yes, 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 I mean, exactly. But your chutney, I, I like the chutney going with it. Yes. I didn't even think of that. That would be cool. So, dude, now I'm hungry. Now I got to go make a board after I've done editing. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, man. And thanks for being an MSB partner and for reaching out in an unconventional way. And, and that's a lesson to people. If you have something really cool, I might say no, but... I can't say yes if you don't ask. So follow exactly. Anton's example. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you Thank being you. with us today. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, folks, real quick before we go, let me remind you that you can always help support this show, one, by becoming a member. And if you're going to order some Biltong, you're not a member yet, you should probably do it just to get the discount there because you'll halfway knock out uh, your your cost of 50 bucks a year, 18 cents an episode by being a member. Another thing that you can do, though, and it's totally painless, is just when you're going to shop online, 
Start your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. My item of the day from tspaz that I'm bringing around today, uh, I, I brought around last week. I, I'll probably do it a lot more before Christmas. There's a lot of guys in this audience, but there's also like a lot of women in this audience with guys in their lives. And Christmas is coming, and I'm going to tell you, like, dudes like tools. And I had a good friend, J.R. Haley, that was here to help me with my workshop a couple weeks ago, bought me uh, a set of these Knipex uh, uh, Cobra pliers for uh, just as a gift, like no real reason other than just, hey, man, here you go. And, I mean, I was outside doing some work, and he pulled a little 7-inch pair out of his pocket, and I used them. I'm like, oh, where do you get these? And I was going to take a picture of the handle just because I was so impressed with them. He's like, I got you. Don't worry about it. Uh, since then, I've picked up some of the smaller ones to use for EDC. Um, they're like a channel. I hate to say they're like a channel lock, but if you're not watching the video, how do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, they look like a, a pair of channel lock pliers, but they're like 100 times better. They're German-made, German-engineered, and they actually lock in place. The little button, you slide them to wherever you want them, and they have a grip like you can't even imagine. In fact, one of their claims to fame is that you can take these, and they don't, again, there's not a, it's not like a vice grip. It's just tension, and when you put them on something like a pipe, a grown man can literally stand on the handle and they won't slip. And that's because the teeth on them are engineered like a snake's teeth. They curve in. So like if you get bit by a rat snake, nothing happens if you don't do anything. But if you pull back, it hurts because the teeth rake against it. It's like that. But since they're one direction with that, so they, they'll lock on like a downstroke, but they'll slip on an upstroke. So you can use them like a ratchet. They are the single best pair of pliers I have ever put in my hands in my life. I don't oversell stuff like this. You guys know that. Um, I'm just that impressed with them. I will never buy another plier pair of, uh, of this type of plier from anybody other than Knipex ever again. Great present to yourself or to somebody else if you really like them. Certainly a little bit pricey, but it's kind of a buy once, cry once type of thing. And again, if you check out like the six inches, the five inches, and the four inches, any one of those. Awesome EDC. I mean, I'm considering getting rid of my multi-tool and going to a knife, an EDC pair, uh, a screwdriver, and a pair of these because there's nothing you can't do with that that you could do with a multi-tool. Anyway, guys, I got to go. Appreciate you being with me today. Uh, we'll have an expert council Q&A show tomorrow. Uh, that will be a non-live stream because it's different people from different walks of life. And uh, then we'll have a Friday flashback on Friday. I keep saying next week will be regularly scheduled. Next week is Thanksgiving. You should order some Biltong for that. Maybe you'll get it in time if you do it right now. Um, but I'll tell you, I've really uh, uh, started thinking about, like, what's next week going to be like. So, like, Monday and Tuesday will be typical days. I don't think I have an interview Wednesday. I think I'm going to run the Keith Snow, how to cook a turkey and how to make Thanksgiving on Wednesday. Uh, or actually, on Tuesday. And Wednesday, I'm probably going to run the Thanksgiving special that we've run for 15 years now, because why wouldn't we? Uh, so next week will be a short week, but spend it with your family. Then we'll be back to our regular scheduled program. Take care, guys. I'll catch you uh, next week. gonna bail you out just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way. Let me show you a better way